0: that Paul, Saul, took place in in Acts chapter 8 and all throughout his epistles as he talked about that persecution. And this week we're missing Jay. Jay was going to make it, uh, but he hit some traffic on the way back from a trip he took this weekend, so he's going to miss tonight. And that's us three, and that's just what you're stuck with. But we're going to be looking at this life of Paul from darkness to light. And when you think about the darkness that Saul was in, it's about as dark as any other character in all of Scripture we're dealing with. And when you think about the light that Paul was, it's about as bright as anyone else in Scripture ever was. And tonight we're going to really see that transition from darkness to light. Because last week we talked about his persecution, his education, this week we're talking about his conversion. As we look at Acts chapter 9 and the other retellings of his conversion throughout the book of Acts, as well as uh, throughout his epistles. So this week we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 9. If you remember in Acts chapter 8, we saw that Saul was going all throughout the church. He was consenting to the death of the church. He was persecuting the church. and all the things that they talked about last week, he was making havoc of, of all uh, the Christians throughout the regions. In Acts chapter nine, he picks, we pick up right there, in ch- verse one, we're going to read verses one through nine, and then possibly have some thoughts. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 1 it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked for for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. then Saul rose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. And so this is where Saul is as he begins to literally see the light as he's on his way to Damascus, on his way to consent to the death of these people who followed the way. Guys, what are your thoughts as we begin this study of these first nine verses tonight?
1: The reality is, as we talked about last week, he he had no understanding of Jesus' identity because he was so caught up in his own Jewish identity. And it's interesting to me because he asks this question, Who are you, Lord? And, and Jesus Jesus answers very quickly, very to the point. I am Jesus. It makes me think about the Gospel of John. Because seven different times Jesus will give an I am statement. I am the bread. I am the light. I am the door. I am the, uh, the shepherd. I am uh, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection. All of those I am statements. And they all are packed with meaning, but they're, they're not... They're not as direct as this one. He, he didn't beat around the bush with Paul. He was, I am Jesus. I'm the guy you're persecuting. He's very to the point here with Paul because that's what Paul needed. And think about Paul's ministry. Paul is as to the point of a guy, as you'll find in Scripture, as to the point of a guy as, as anyone has ever been. He's direct because maybe he's that way because that's how he was converted. Is It it wasn't a beating around the bush, it was a, I am Jesus. And ultimately, the who are you, Lord, that's the question we all have to deal with. We all have to answer who Jesus is. We have to come to the conclusion about his identity for ourselves if we're going to choose to follow him. So the first thing I noticed in the the conversion story of Paul is this question, who are you, Lord, and Jesus' very direct answer, I am Jesus who you are persecuting.
2: Okay, um, yeah, that's a great perspective, I think. Uh, I never thought about that. But uh, here's the thing, even though that was great, uh, one thing I would like to add to that is that the Jesus was the risen Jesus. He was risen from the dead. So, I, I mean, what uh, this makes very uh, Uh, significant to understand Paul's conversion, Paul's salvation, is that, I mean, uh, the Bible, the scripture doesn't say something, uh, doesn't say uh, about anything that specifically helped a soul to understand the gospel. But uh, Paul later, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, explains that, it explains about gospel about the gospel, and uh, one of the uh, you know verses says that he was resurrected according to I mean according to the prophecy. So the, the resurrection is so important. So one thing that's why I was I wanted to add the one word the risen Lord. Uh, Apostle Paul recogni- I mean so recognized. Jesus as the Lord, but uh, and that risen Lord. He was risen from the dead.
0: me when I look at these first few verses,
2: how Saul
0: immediately knows that he's done wrong. We see an immediate dose of humility given to Saul here in this moment because as, as we look at the text, we see He goes from consenting to murder to to threatening and and murdering and and breathing all these threats to the disciples of the Lord. Then he sees this light. He says, who are you, Lord? Who who are you, sir? Jesus says from above, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. Verse 6. So then he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? He goes from wanting to consent to the death of of Christians to saying, Lord, you tell me what to do, and I will do it. We're talking about a guy, we talked about last week, his education, his pride that was in his education, and the extreme knowledge he had of the Old Testament. And we talked about last week how he said, I've lived all of my life with a clear conscience. But yet here, when he's called out on the carpet, when Jesus shines that light, he's blinded. We see Saul say, what do you want me to do, Lord? That's an amazing attitude that Saul has already getting into our text tonight. But the text continues in verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. And so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for the one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. How much harm has he done to your saints in Jerusalem? And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me to you, that you may receive your sight, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and arose. He was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You know, it's interesting looking at this part of the conversion story, really the moment that he has gone from darkness to light, from literally being blind to being able to literally see. It's amazing how quick this turnaround is. It's amazing how this is a blink-and-you-missed-it moment in Scripture. You know, if, 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 if you're reading a book, and you, when I read books, I start, to do, I start to lose my train of thought. That's why I don't like to read. Uh, all these reading comprehension quizzes, thanks a lot, Teachers. Uh, that thanks a lot. But when you read throughout the Bible, you read the beginning of the book of Acts, you read chapter 8, and let's say that you aren't paying attention as you read chapter 9, and all of a sudden, the rest of the book of Acts is about this guy who used to kill Christians. It's amazing to me the fundamental shift that we see in this text, in these very few verses Saul has gone from being the church's number one enemy to the church's number one asset because Christ has chosen him to be the chosen vessel to the Gentiles. Y'all have any thoughts before we go to the next retelling of his salvation?
1: Ananias stands out to me because here's a guy who's been given one of the most difficult assignments His assignment is to go convert a guy that kills Christians. Would you like that assignment? Uh, But Ananias, and and you can see the hesitancy in Ananias, because in verse 13 he says, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is scared to go. But he ends up going. And that makes him different than a guy in the Old Testament called Jonah. Because Jonah didn't want to go, and so Jonah went the other way. Jonah tried to get out of it by, by leaving the scene. Ananias didn't. Ananias eventually went. And though Saul is this incredible guy that, that we hold up as a Christian leader, missionary, author of the New Testament, and an apostle to the Gentiles, let's not overlook the part that Ananias has to play and let's gain courage from Ananias. If he can go to Paul, I mean, excuse me, Saul, to a guy that kills Christians and lead him to Christ, then there's no one you and I can't go to. And so we should find we should gain courage from the example that Ananias gives us.
2: Uh, one thing I would like to uh, say before we go on is that you know uh, probably uh, from this text we can. Uh, get good answers to some questions about how to be saved. Uh, very popular ones. Some people say that you know their personal encounter with Jesus or with God saves them, but obviously this, according to this scripture, Paul encountered Jesus, but he waited until the washing of his sins until I mean to be saved. So, personal encounter with Jesus or God would not be the way to, uh, for a person to be saved. And Paul was chosen for a specific purpose by God. But that choice God made didn't mean salvation itself. He has to be washed of his sins to be saved. Another thing He regained his sight by a miracle, kind of miraculous healing. Some people uh, believe that if they are healed by miraculous something, then they, they get some grace from God, so they are saved. They assume that they are saved by that. But, you know, Paul, he regained his sight by the miraculous grace, but Paul was not saved until he was, I mean, he washed his sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. And also, one other thing, he prayed three days, you know, after he encountered Jesus. He prayed and fasted three days. But he was not saved by that prayer. The sinner's prayer, whatever scenario, the prayer may be, it may be, the prayer itself, doesn't save a person. Only when one was washed uh, of his or her sins by the blood of Jesus Christ uh, he can be saved or she can be saved.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that because in the very next retelling of his conversion, he's going to talk about what calling on the name of the Lord means. Mm -hmm. Something I mention a lot when I'm studying with people about saying a sinner prayer or or calling on the name of the Lord. and In Acts chapter 22, he's going to retell his conversion story. And that's where we're going to go next. So if you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to that. In Acts chapter 22. But what's interesting to me is throughout Acts, we see three tellings of Saul's conversion to Paul and his conversion into Christianity. And we're going to go over those real quick. We're not going to read the verses, but it's found in Acts chapter 22 and verse 6 all the way uh, to verse 21. What's amazing to me to me about this second retelling, or the, the second telling of his conversion, is this is Paul now talking to this Jerusalem, these Jewish people about his conversion, about how he was born in Tarsus of Cilicia and brought up at the feet of Gamaliel. We talked about that last week in verse 3. I persecuted the way to death. And then he's going to transition into why it was worthy of him to become a Christian. What's interesting to me about the second telling, I'll go ahead and tell you mine, is what we find in verse 16. In verse 16, we see one of the greatest challenges that people who are wanting to become a Christian face. And that is... Well, give me some time to think about it. So many times when I'm studying with somebody or when we study with those who have not become Christians, it's it's an instinct for them to say, I, 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 I really need some time. I've been shown what the truth is. I know that I'm lost. I know that I need to be baptized. I know that if the Lord comes right now, I'm not saved, but I need some time. And sometimes that might be the case, but I always challenge people to know that you might not have that time. And as Paul retells this, this is something we don't see in Acts 9. He says in verse 16, And now, why are you waiting? Why are you waiting? What excuse do you have? Why are you waiting? We're not told that Paul gave an excuse, and we're not told anything about that, but... Isn't it interesting that so many times when we are studying with someone, we find those excuses. Well, I need to talk to whoever the case might be. Well, I need to do this. Give me some time. I, 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 I'd like to do it on a Sunday or, or whatever the case might be. But when it comes to Paul's conversion, there was no waiting about it. Paul was called to be that chosen vessel. He was called to be the the chosen vessel to take the Gospel to the Gentiles. And there was no time to be spared. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Here it is again, what I was saying earlier. Call on the name of the Lord. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? It is is to submit, it is to obey. And it's not just like Mingyu was saying, just to... Say a prayer of forgiveness, but it's to submit to the to obey the gospel through baptism and washing away your sins. What are your thoughts on the second telling of Saul's conversion?
1: What I find interesting is actually back at verse eleven. You talk about this surrender aspect of conversion that's involved in Paul's conversion and in ours. It's interesting to me in verse eleven. That, that Paul says, since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Jesus utilized this blinding light in a unique way for, for Saul that, that Saul definitively needed. Saul needed to be blinded for him to realize just how spiritually blind he was in this scenario. And he was, here's a guy who we talked about last week, was so proud of all of his accomplishments. And now here he is, and he can't even walk forward on his own. So he's got to have assistance. In other words, what happens here is Paul's pride gets challenged by this blindness. And it's going to force him to make a decision to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. And, I, and so I think when we, when we talk about the surrender that Ben has ben uh, already alluded to, we have, to, we have to notice that the whole process that Saul had to go through in this conversion that, that involved his blindness was all part of the process to get him to understand, you've got to surrender to me. You're not in charge anymore. It's not about you. And, and I think that's a significant observation with the reason to help us understand the reason blindness was involved in converting Saul.
2: Again, it's a great perspective. I have never thought about that. But, you know, um, it was very interesting for me to um, uh, study, I mean, prepare this, uh, studying the scripture, uh, because uh, without Paul meeting the risen Lord, uh, how, I mean, could it be possible for Paul to, to realize his blindness, his, you know, his sin and his whatever he had to uh, remove uh, from himself. I, I don't, I can't imagine he could do he could do so without meeting the risen Lord, because the risen Lord, the Jesus was dead when Saul was persecuting Jesus and his followers. Jesus was already dead, so he was kind of beating the air. He was, I mean in his mind, if Paul, I mean if Saul was right, he was fighting against a dead person. But he was risen, he was alive. And as he met the risen Lord, and as he saw that the Lord, I mean Jesus was not dead, he was alive, probably that hit his head And that hit broke the ice or stone in his head So that he could understand that I was ignorant Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 2 uh, Says that if anyone thinks he knows something He needs to know that he doesn't know That he needs to know that So if one does not know something, he even doesn't know that he doesn't know that thing. Okay, am I right? Am I saying right? Yeah, English is hard language, you know, for me.
0: (laughs) Korean (laughs) are the rest.
2: But anyway, you know, Paul was like that. He thought he he knew everything. He knew everything about God. He knew everything about salvation. But as he saw, Jesus was alive. Everything turned upside down, and he, like Carl mentioned, you know, he realized that, you know, probably what I believed uh, as truth may be wrong, and he changed. So, I think the I mean, meeting the reason Lord the. The realizing the trustfulness, I mean, trust of resurrection is the key for Paul to be converted.
0: The third retelling of the conversion of Saul to Paul is a few chapters later, in chapter 26. Here, Paul has been brought before King Agrippa uh, to talk to him about this. Way about Christianity, about all the things he was doing, he was in big trouble, obviously, uh, for what he was preaching and, and how he had turned on uh, the Jewish faith in their eyes to follow this blasphemous religion, this this dishonorable thing that he did to leave the Jewish faith into this Christianity. And in verse twelve, he begins to retell, he begins to recount his conversion again. And so yet again, this third time, we see the story of Paul's conversion. And yet again, there are little details. A little more shining that light on these little other things that the other two do not necessarily discuss. And for me, what was interesting is the addition of what Jesus said when that light shone down. When the light shined on... Paul on Saul at that time. In the other two accounts, we saw that Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? We saw that he said, Are you going to be a chosen vessel? But verse 16 through 18, I, I just can't help but notice there's a lot more here about what Jesus said on that road. And it says, But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. You know what's amazing about this series? something Letting y'all in on something. We couldn't figure out a name for this series to save our life. We were were trying to think about what could totally grasp the life of Paul? What, What would really fit the life of Paul that we read in Scripture? And yet, I don't believe we looked at this Scripture to come up with that title. But yet in verse 18 it says, to open their eyes in order to turn them. From darkness to light. Isn't that amazing how that's exactly what happened to Saul? And it's exactly what Paul was going to turn around and do to those Christians all throughout the regions. But one other thing I want to notice is what Paul retelling his conversion almost did. If you continue to look down as we see Agrippa's response, in verse 28, Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And then verse 32, then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. It's amazing to me that Paul retelling his conversion, retelling his salvation, salvation, Almost single-handedly converted this king. The king of the Jews. To repent. And to follow the way. Just like Paul had. That's how powerful his conversion was. Him retelling it was. And so my question to you, what is the significance of Paul's salvation, his conversion being told three times? For our learning. What, what, why do you think the Holy Spirit did that and, and gives us those examples? And what can we learn from that as far as how essential and important our salvation should be as we talk to others?
2: Yep. Um, okay. Um, that's a huge, <laughs> that's a huge topic. Yeah, poor's conversion, poor's salvation, and the uh, example of, uh, of ser- I mean, forced salvation uh, is a great topic and great thing uh, from which we can learn. Um, I think there are two elements, I mean, two things that we need to uh, look at uh, closely regarding poor's salvation. The one thing, I uh, already mentioned, washing away sins. Washing away sins. Uh, And the other thing is that, uh, we didn't mention it uh, already, but so let me show you. Chapter 9, verse 17. Chapter 9, verse 17. So Ananias departed and created, I mean, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, poor—I mean, souls and pores. souls. Okay, salvation cannot be uh, thought without His regeneration or rebirth by the Holy Spirit. That's why I think Paul later in his letters emphasizes so much about the Holy Spirit. I mean, rebirth by the Holy Spirit. And the washing away sins and being born by the Holy Spirit, those two incidents, those two elements happen in what? Baptism. In baptism, through baptism, only through baptism, one can encounter those two things that Paul encountered in his conversion. So there is no other thing by which one can be saved but baptism. In baptism, we have to wash our sins and we have to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's uh, I mean, I'm trying to summarize what I understand uh, about salvation, especially uh, through Paul's uh, conversion here. So wash away your sins. It is about the former life. We have to deal with the former life, sinful life. We have to remove the guilt of our sins, and then We have to be reborn. We have to be born again by what? By the Spirit of God, by the Holy Spirit. And if you look at uh, Titus chapter 3, verse 4, I think uh, that scripture gives us uh, Paul's idea of salvation regarding these two elements very clearly. Titus chapter 2 verse 4, I mean chapter 3 verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because uh, because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So, washing away our sins and being born again by the Spirit is the necessary two elements for a person to be saved. So, that's what we have to learn from Paul's salvation.
1: You know, you were, you were asking us uh, um, what's the significance of there being the, the three tellings, why, uh, What what's... No, I mean, you did a great job. I wasn't, I'm not criticizing you. So, but as you asked that, I was sitting here thinking, no other conversion account gets three retellings. You know, we, you go through the book of Acts and you have several, several people who are converted, but but no one gets their story told three times. Cornelius gets two, but I don't think anybody else gets three. Um, and, and so I, I was pondering that as you posed the question, and I thought, well, maybe, maybe the reason we get Paul's three times is because Paul's going to be, as you heard Mingu talk about, the guy that tells us the most about salvation. The, the single author who says the most about baptism in particular, but who really communicates the theology of salvation better than anyone else. And so you journey through his writings and you come to uh, passages like Titus 2 or you come to a passage like Romans 6. Romans 6 uh, uh, verses 3 through 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And what stands out to me when you read Paul's writings about salvation is he doesn't just talk about how you receive salvation. He talks about what receiving salvation should do to you. He te- Romans 6, he's telling us, you receive salvation when you're baptized. And because you've received salvation, here's what should happen. You should walk in newness of life. Because what we see with Paul in his three conversion stories is we see a guy who comes to understand what he needs to do to deal with his sins, but a guy who also understands how he's supposed to live after those sins have been taken care of. And, and so it's fascinating to me because no one has the turnaround that Paul has. And so his life gets reto- or his conversion gets retold for us three times because I think it is the epitome of what is expected of us.
0: Yeah, and it's just like you were saying, uh I- I believe he had such a wide-spanning uh, audience of, of people he touched, he affected, he affected the Jews, he affected the Gentiles, he affected uh, Galatia, Ephesus, Thessalonica, all these different groups of people. And it's amazing that they could look back at the Book of Acts and look about and, and read about how he came to faith, and how if he did it. Surely I can. Yeah. That's what I get from the retellings of uh, the conversion of Saul. And like, like Kyle was saying, this really sets the tone for all of his epistles. There's not a single epistle he wrote that doesn't deal with salvation, doesn't deal with something about the scheme of redemption. In fact, if you've taken my uh, evangelism class, uh, we haven't had that in a while because of COVID, But if you've taken that class, we have uh, the conversion sheet that we go over. And we go verse by verse of of how to take someone from not knowing what they need to do to be saved all the way to knowing what they need to do to be saved. And I was looking at that sheet today, and it it goes all the way through what it means to be lost, what it means to be saved, and and, and, and what it means to uh, do the steps of salvation. And of course, like you would imagine... Then at the bottom it talks about what the church is and, and how we can become a part of the church and, and all, all of the things that they need to know in order to be saved. Some of you, I've, I've been through with that sheet with you and, and baptized you. And I was looking at that sheet and, and, and there's some odd 66 different passages. 49% of those passages come from the hand of Paul. of all of those passages that that I go with with people come from Paul. All throughout Romans and Galatians. And you look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor free, bond uh, bond or free, male or female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone has been baptized into Christ, he has put on Christ. We get that from Galatians. We get that from Paul. In Ephesians 1 and verse 3, we see that all spiritual blessings come through Christ. In Ephesians 1 7, we see that we have redemption through Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 17, we see that we become a new creation in Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, we see that there is no condemnation if we are in Christ. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10, we have salvation through Christ. Romans 10 and verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. All of these verses, and this is just the start, all of them come from Paul, and that's because his salvation, his conversion that we're talking about tonight was that essential. And because of his conversion, because of this example we see three times in Scripture, that should tell us that's how essential our salvation should be. It should impact us the exact same way it impacted Saul. It should be something we never forget. It should be something that we look back on and understand that that was the day that I went from darkness to light. And we should tell others about it the same way Saul, who then became Paul, went the rest of his life telling others about His salvation. And as we try to think about what we can take away from the conversion of Saul, how he went from the persecutor to the greatest asset the church had, what can we take away? What do we need to learn from this example tonight that we haven't already talked about For me, I want to talk about repentance. You know, repentance might be the most overlooked part of salvation. It's important for us to have faith, to to hear, to believe. It's important for us to confess the name of the Lord Jesus. Romans 10.9, by the way, confess with the mouth. That's Paul saying that as well. It's important for us to obviously be baptized. We've talked about that a lot tonight. But sometimes we forget the essentiality of repentance. Sometimes we don't take into scope what it means to repent. To truly stop what we are doing. To turn around and do the opposite. That's what we see from the life of Paul. When he was blinded by that light, when he understood that he had done wrong, he stopped what he was doing. And he turned around spiritually and started doing what he should be doing. You know, some of us, we have heard the Word. We have believed the Word. We have confessed the name of Jesus. We have been baptized into Christ. But the thing that we forget to do is actually repent. Repentance is not just being sorry. That's half of the equation. The second half of the equation is stopping what you were doing. Godly sorrow produces repentance, Paul said in his letter to the Corinth. That's what I get from the life, from the conversion of Paul, is this fundamental change, this repentance. That he had taken that he had in his life. Why he could say in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and 2, I therefore by the mercy of God present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed <clears throat> by the renewing of your mind. So you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That's Paul's hand. He's talking about it because it was that transformational for him. Instead of being conformed to the world, conformed to the people around him, conformed to the people he was educated with, conformed by the studies of Gamaliel, conformed by all the pride that he had we talked about last week, he was transformed because of his conversion. Did your conversion transform you? Into who Christ wants you to be. If not, that's what repentance means. That's what I get from the conversion of Saul to Paul. Not only does he uh, spiritually change his name from a Jew to a Christian, he changed his literal name from Saul to Paul. He was literally no longer that old man. And why he could say, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, all things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Because Paul understood exactly how that felt because he experienced it himself.
2: Yep. Um, Yeah, what I really... uh, What I really uh, want to emphasize uh, here is that, you know, Uh, The resurrection. Again, resurrection. Jesus' resurrection. And, I mean, if I briefly answer the question that I missed, you know, why three retellings in the Bible? Because the resurrection is so important. Actually, uh, the scripture is uh, talking about Paul's experience of encountering, uh, encounter with uh, Jesus, the risen Lord. But it itself is a witness of the resurrection. And Luke, at first Luke's, Luke was describing him, uh, how Paul met the risen Lord. And the other two instances was Paul was telling people how he met the risen Lord. So the, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, and also Apostle Paul, I mean, so at the time, I mean, Paul, they were telling about the resurrection, the risen Lord. Why? Why three times of retelling of the, uh, the, the meeting, I mean, Paul's encountering the risen Lord? Because the resurrection, resurrection of Jesus is the focal point of our salvation, of the gospel. Uh, and so later in Paul's epistles we can find that Paul is always connecting salvation with resurrection by the power of resurrection, by the power of God who raised Jesus from the dead will be saved, we are saved so the resurrection is the is the evidence that God is working for our salvation. And also, resurrection of Jesus is the evidence for our hope that we will be resurrected someday. And the resurrection is the evidence that Jesus was the Son of God. So the resurrection of Jesus is everything for our salvation. I think that is what we have to look at and we, we have to refresh our mind with again and again so that we cannot lose, uh, we should not lose our sight by the worldly things, worldly cares. If we look at the resurrection exactly, clearly, what will lose, not, what will lose uh We will not lose our sight for the hope, for the salvation, and for the life that we have to live according to God's will. So the resurrection is the thing that I would like to get from Paul's story.
1: I think my big takeaway is that anyone can receive salvation. Uh, it, there's a passage in First Timothy chapter one, and we've already referenced last week all of Paul's failures and sins and persecution. And it's interesting to me in First Timothy chapter one, beginning in verse 13, Paul says, "Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus." And then he concludes it saying this, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. And so when I look at the life and particularly the conversion of Saul to Paul, the thing that really stands out to me is that his life shows us that anyone, anyone can receive salvation. And that's a huge takeaway for me.
0: Well, tonight we're not going to be extending an invitation or uh, any song to be sung, but if tonight you're reading about the conversion of Saul, and you're seeing these retellings of it, and, and you find yourself in a place, whether you did not understand what you were doing when you were baptized, or you have never been baptized hope what Kyle just said, I hope this study tonight helps compel you and ask that same question Ananias asked, why are you waiting? And as Paul also said in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, today is the day of salvation, tomorrow may be too late. That's what Paul had to say about salvation. So last week we discussed the persecution. This week, we discuss the conversion. Next week, we're going to be discussing the reception. How Paul was received by the church after becoming a Christian. Hope you'll, not, 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 excuse me, not next week, the week after next week. we got lads to leaders. But the week after next week, we're going to st- discuss the reception as we look at how Paul was received by the church as we continue this series from darkness to light, the life of Paul. Ming, will you close us in a word
2: of prayer? Okay. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for this uh, wonderful congregation here in Beaufort. Thank you for all members and ministers and leaders and uh, uh, the, everyone here. Uh, we are so grateful to have this uh, congregation here. Thank you for our uh, love. I mean, thank you for your love for us. And thank you for uh, your word, uh, which te- tells us the truth and teaches us the truth. Uh, thank you for Paul's story and Paul's teachings uh, by which we can understand your will better. We can uh, we keep equip ourselves better. Uh, Thank you very much for everything that we have uh, as Christians. Uh, Please bless us as we continue the ministry uh, to spread out these blessings uh, to our community in going and doing. Um, Thank you for this time and thank you for the members who are attending this uh, this study, please bless them too. Um, thank you for Jesus, our Savior, uh, who shed blood for us, and by which uh, we could be washed of our sins. In His name, we pray. Amen.